Tonight we are looking at Psalm 139, the psalm that we read and also that we've been singing from on page 628. Um, please keep your Bible open on that page. And also, um, if it's your first time with us, we have a sermon outline that we, um, that we put out in the intimation sheet, which uh, if you have it, if it's helpful for you to use, um, please feel free to. Tonight we are carrying on with our series of sermons on the doctrine of God, looking at who God is and what God is like. And we're doing that because our official statement as a church is that we exist to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. That is the meaning of life. Um, so for us to be able to do that and for us to want to do it, for us to know why we should glorify God and why God is eternally, infinitely enjoyable, we really need to know who he is and what he's like. And we've been doing some sermons on this so far and the doctrine of God, looking at God as personal, a specific God with a specific personal name, Yahweh. And we've been looking at how God is, is omnipotent, that God has all power. And we've been going on that line and tonight we're looking at how God is omnipresent, how God is all present, present everywhere. Um, omni is, is a word that means all or, or every, something that's omnidirectional, goes in all directions. Um, someone who's omnipotent has all power. Someone who's omniscient has all knowledge. And being omnipresent means being present in all places and at all times. God's omnipresence is a key part of who he is, and it's a huge part of why we should want to glorify God and enjoy God forever with our lives. And tonight, I want us to look at God's omnipresence using Psalm 139 and using verses 7 to 18, because Psalm 139 is a song which explores God's omnipresence. God's presence everywhere, and it demonstrates why God's presence everywhere should make us want to glorify him and enjoy him. We're going to look at his omnipresence in two ways. First of all, general point, God is present everywhere. God is present everywhere. The context of this psalm is like this. The songwriter, the psalmist, is an Israelite king called David. David is reflecting on how God knows everything on God's omniscience, and particularly that God knows everything with regards to his life, his lifestyle, and his thoughts, and his speech, and everything that David is conscious of. God knows everything. God knows every action of every day, of every moment. God knows every word uttered before David even says the words. God knows every thought that has ever run through David's mind. Before God, David is, is an is a completely open book before God's perfect, complete knowledge. And the effect that that has on David is, is twofold. Firstly, it fills him with a sense of, of wonder and of awe. This God is in, incomprehensible. This God is greater than he is. You see it in, in verse 6. He's reflecting on how God knows everything about him, and he says, such knowledge is too wonderful or too incomprehensible for me, too lofty, for me to attain. So he's filled with, with that sense of wonder. But also, secondly, 
the effect is that it makes him want to get away from God. He wants some privacy. And you can see why when you start to apply this to, to David's own life. Every hurtful word that has ever left his mouth, God knows it. Every hateful thought, every moment of lust in his heart, God knows about it. Every wrong action, God knows about it. And when you apply this specifically to David's life, and we know a lot about his life from the Bible, he was uh, not a perfect character at all. A man renowned for killing other men. Uh, when he thinks about his unjustifiable anger and violence and hatred, God knows every detail perfectly. David also had issues with lust that went way out of control, as you see in his affair with Bathsheba, where he's filled with lust for her, and she's married to someone else. And he takes her, and he gets her pregnant, and sends her husband to die in a battle just to try and cover up his sin. God knows every one of the tiniest details in all of these things. To David, the thought that God knows all of this gives him a part of his reaction to it is that he wants to flee from God. His, his immediate reaction in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I want to ask you, and ask myself as well, to ask us all, does the, the fact that God knows everything, does the fact that he has a total knowledge of every moment of our lives, does that make us uncomfortable? Does it make us want to get away from him and to flee from him? Knowing that he knows everything about me and my life, public and private, the, the thoughts in my head that I think no one else knows, God knows. That thought makes me uncomfortable. That thought makes me ask the same question to God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David starts to answer those questions for us. Can we flee from God? Is there some place we can go where God is not there? And the way he answers those questions is really interesting. He answers it in poetic form. Um, he, he's writing a poem in Hebrew, and we're reading an English translation of it. But the really big, important point he makes here is, is the way he uses opposites, heaven, hell, and land, sea, and, and light and dark. He uses opposites to show that God is everywhere and that there is nowhere that we can go to flee from God's presence. Um, Hebrew is, is like English in that it's got a system of opposites. If you ask an English speaker, what's the opposite of night? Day. Uh, what's the opposite of sick? Healthy. What's the opposite of big? Small and so on. We've got all these opposites and Hebrew has the same. And in Hebrew, if you want to emphasize the totality of something, you, you use opposites and you put them both together. For example, if you want to, to describe the whole of planet Earth, every single square mile of it, every part of the surface of the earth, you take the two opposites of, of the of planet earth, land and sea, and you put them together and you talk about land and sea. And it's a way of emphasizing that you're talking about planet earth and every square inch of it. You know, there's nothing that's exempt because it's all either land or sea. And, um, and that's, what, that's the kind of technique he uses to show us that God is everywhere. He uses opposites to describe God's 
omnipresence. First of all, he speaks about heaven and hell. In verse 8, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Now, David starts to use opposites here, and he picks the opposites of heaven and hell. When he speaks about going up to the heavens, um, he isn't speaking about you know, heading up into the, the clouds above us or going up into the stratosphere or going out into the, the kind of heavens of, of space. That's not the, the sense in which he's speaking about heaven. He's speaking about heaven as, as the place that Christians go when they die. That's the kind of heaven that he's referring to. And he's saying, if I go to, to that one extreme of spiritual reality, God is there. If I ascend up to the heavens, you are there. And then he goes to the other opposite of spiritual reality, and he says, and it's very poetic here, um, and it's, it's quite, well, it doesn't, when I read this in English, it doesn't right away in this translation have a kind of dramatic impact because it sounds quite soft. If I make my bed in the depths, and to us in English, that, you know, we, we hear of the depths maybe and we think of the ocean and you think of being under the sea and heading down to the seabed. Um, that's not what David is speaking about, that if you, you know, you're from the sky down to the sea um, and the bottom of it, that God is there. The word he uses for, for the depths here, that we have translated as the depths, is the Old Testament word for hell. It's, it's a word, sheol, means underworld. It's the Old Testament name for the kind of dark, shady place where unbelievers go after death. And what David is drawing out here is that God is present everywhere, in terms of the great spiritual realities and both of the opposites of heaven and hell. He's, he's even in hell. You can't even escape him by going there. He's not present there in terms of blessing and favor, but he is present there nonetheless because God is omnipresent. And that's the first thing that David looks at, spiritual reality. And God is everywhere in heaven and in hell. And wherever he ends up spending eternity, he cannot evade God, and he cannot escape his presence. Then after going and speaking about spiritual reality, he starts speaking about the physical world, the physical reality, when he speaks about land and sea in verses 9 and 10. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The imagery that he's using here basically works like this. He's saying something like, if I, could, if I could actually be the daybreak, you know, the rays of sun hitting the earth as it goes around, if I could be the daybreak crossing the globe, cr spanning seas and continents, covering the entire earth, even then I could not find the tiniest spot where God is not present. It's, it's the kind of realization that you see in the life of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah He's a prophet, and God gives him a mission to go and preach in a city called Nineveh. And there's nowhere in the world that Jonah would least like to go um, than to Nineveh. So he tries to flee God and to flee God's will, and he heads in the opposite direction. And instead of going off to Nineveh, he goes to Joppa and tries to sail for Tarshish. And he's on the run from God. But what Jonah finds out is that you cannot outrun God. Wherever you go, God is already there, anywhere in the world. And then the third kind of pair of opposites that he uses to explain how God is everywhere is light and dark. Verses 11 and 12, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light 
become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, for us, because um, we live in you know, an industrial age, we live in an urban environment with street lights and with electricity, um, nighttime to us isn't that terrifying, unless you know, maybe you, you are really scared of the dark. But you know, we have street lights, night isn't that dark or dangerous. In David's age, he was writing in a pre-industrial world, no electricity, no street lights, in, in a kind of context where nighttime is dangerous to be outside in the dark. And in, in his world, if you want to get around and be unseen, with the risk also of meeting a wild animal or um, you know, a band of thieves or something like that, you go out into the dark. And that's where you go to, you know, the ultimate place to escape. For example, if, if you're a criminal, if you're in hiding, you head out into the dark because it's pitch black out there. There, is, there are no street lights anywhere in the world at this point. There's no light pollution going up. And, and what he's saying is, is something like, when I go out at night, no one can see me. Stepping out into pure blackness. And he's saying, even if I could turn day into night as well and always be hidden by darkness surely then i can escape god and get away from him but he he knows that he cannot even do that because he says even the darkness will not be dark to god god is equally present in the light and in the dark he sees through both he's everywhere and there's a great application in this one that i've heard derek make before that god is present in darkness the bible speaks a lot about about darkness in terms of um you know being in a terrible time feeling alone isolated um god is present in darkness if you're going through an awful time if your circumstances have been horrendous or painful if you're depressed for example and you feel and think that god is absent that he's not in the darkness. He is. He is present in darkness. In our times of darkness, God is there. He's present there because he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. And that is a huge reason to glorify and enjoy God. Because whether you are in the best time of your life or the worst, God is still there. And he's not absent. Now, at this point, I've gotten the notes that deists and pantheists might agree. I'll explain those terms. Pantheists are people, it's a kind of Eastern way of thinking, kind of Buddhist-y. Um, they're people who believe not only that God is everywhere in the universe, but also that God is everything in the universe. So everything is, is God. It's, um, it's that way of thinking. And pantheists would probably agree with most of what I've just said, that God is everywhere because they think that God is everything and therefore he's everywhere. Not something we agree with. And deists are, well, deists are people who believe in one God but who think that we could not know anything about him because he doesn't reveal himself. And some of them, some deists would completely agree with what we've just been saying in the sermon, that if God is there, that it makes sense that he is everywhere. But if you're a pantheist or you're a deist, you're probably going to completely disagree with what's coming next because what's coming next is really Christian and biblical. Our second point is that God is specially present with his people. Point one was that God is present everywhere. 
point to you that he is specially present with his people. Uh, We're looking from verses 13 down to 17 and 18. David, he starts reflecting on how God has, even though God knows everything about him and all the failure and sin in his life, God has nonetheless shown him constant grace and care. As an unborn child from the, the earliest moments of his conception and throughout his whole life, he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. David, knowing that God knows everything about him and that he cannot escape God anywhere, is staggered by the grace of God. God knows everything about his life. He cannot escape God. Nevertheless, God, who is everywhere, is constantly showering love and favor on him in a limitless kind of way. The way he expresses it is that trying to count God's individual blessings on his life is like trying to count the grains of sand, not just on one beach, but just the grains of sand everywhere. You cannot do it. And it's at this point that he drops the bombshell regarding God's presence and God's omnipresence. Verse 18, his conclusion to all of this, when I awake, I am still with you. Now, this is the point at which the pantheists and the deists will not agree with us. In these words, I am with you. David's saying that he is with God. The Bible is saying something huge, something massive. It's saying that God is both present everywhere in every place and also distinct from everything. But it's also saying that as well as being generally present everywhere, he is also specially present with his people. I am with you. And this really ties into what we've been saying previously about God being personal and knowable. We've got three points, subpoints here that we're going to go through on how God is specially present with his people. Number one, God's special presence is covenantal. It's covenantal. God has a promise, an agreement, um, a bond in blood that he sovereignly created called the covenant of grace, whereby he has promised to save us from sin and from death. And through the death of Jesus Christ, we receive salvation as a gift of grace. The gospel is the covenant of grace, this agreement that God has made that he will save us. And a key part of that agreement, that covenant, is that God will be with us, specially as our God, as our covenant God, that we have a relationship with him that's special. When you start to look throughout the Bible at how God relates to us through the gospel, it's full of every conceivable term that you could think of to express how God is with us, specially as his people. He speaks about being with us, about being in us through the Holy Spirit. He speaks about being around us. He speaks about being in the midst of us, to the rear of us, behind us, underneath us, near us, before us. It's just every term you could think of about how God is with us in a special way. And God uses all of those terms. And you see it, especially in the Great Commission, where Jesus gives uh, a covenant responsibility to us that 
as Christians, as a church, that our task, what we've been sent to, is to go into the whole world and tell people about Jesus and make them disciples. It ends with, and I will be with you always. And that is a key part of the the gospel, the covenant agreement between us and God, is that he is specially present with us. And that and that's a, that's a different kind of presence to the, the way that God is present everywhere. He's specially present with us because of his, his covenant. Also, sub-point two, it's fulfilled in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In John 1.14 it says, The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God has come to be with us in Jesus Christ. His name shall be called, it says in the Bible, Emmanuel, God with us. God is specially present with us as human beings, as people, as a church in Jesus Christ, because he is God and man. He's God with us. He's with us in suffering, in joy, in every human experience, but without sin. Also, thirdly, it's fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. God's special presence with us. In John 14, verses 16 to 18, it says, well, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So we have God specially present with us through the Holy Spirit, who is both with us and in us. And in that sense, we have a real closeness to God. We have God's special presence. And it's when you start to put all of this together, take our first big point about how God is everywhere. God knows everything about us. He sees it because he's everywhere. And he knows, he knows all the wrong in our lives and knows how we, we really deserve condemnation and death the God who sees and knows all of that and who is everywhere around us nonetheless wants to get closer the God who is present everywhere that's not enough for him he wants special presence it's not enough just that he is everywhere that he's all in the land and the sea and the dark and the light and heaven and hell that's not enough for him he wants to be in you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be behind you and before you and above you. He wants that special presence. And that is why David here, when he reflects on how God knows everything about him and how you know, that makes him want to flee God, but God is gracious to him. And God not only wants to be everywhere, he wants to be with David. That is why David wants to glorify and enjoy God here with his praise. That's the greatness of the gospel, that the God who's everywhere wants closer still. Now, um, last, the last thing I want to, to bring up here in conclusion is, is an application of this and a, and a question that comes up when we think about the presence of God everywhere and the special presence of God with Christians. And it's the issue of losing the presence of God. And I want to go through this briefly. Um, just to, to look at this issue, because it's an issue that people ask questions about and that they think about um, when you tell Christians that God is specially present with us and in us. And it's, can we lose that special presence of God? We 
cannot lose the general presence of God because he's everywhere. Um, and if, if a place exists, God is there because he is God over it. But in terms of the special presence of God, a point that's really important to have at the center of our thinking on this is why God is present with us in a special way. And he's present with us in a special way, not because we deserve it. He's present with us in a special way because he has promised it in grace. Jesus came and lived with us, among us, while we were still ungodly, while we were sinners. He died for us. And God is specially present with us primarily because he has promised it. And the Holy Spirit is given to us forever. Again, not because we deserve it, but to, to sanctify us, to be a seal on us that we belong to Jesus. And, and what I want to distinguish in this, to help us think about this, is that the sense of God's presence is not the same as the reality of God's presence, his special presence. Enjoying the sense of God's special presence, of his being in you, of his blessing you, of his filling you, is something that can fade and something that can grow really dim and we can lose all of the joy of the Lord in our lives that comes through his special presence, uh, through disobedience, through prayerlessness, through becoming legalistic and thinking that we can add to what Jesus is doing for us and that we're saved by faith plus works. We can lose the sense of God's special presence. But it's not the same as the reality of God's special presence, which is there through the Spirit who indwells us. But because, what I want to challenge us with, is because we have the reality of God's special presence given to us in grace and by the gospel that we have the Holy Spirit within us, go for it 100% wholeheartedly out of gratitude to enjoy the sense of that special presence. The, the presence of God within us is one of the greatest things about being a Christian. And when we're asking, as we did at the beginning of the sermon, why should we glorify God? And how can we enjoy him and do that forever? Because of this, because of what we've been saying, that the God who is present everywhere wants to be present with us. And he wants that special presence to be something that we enjoy and to be a reason that we glorify God. In a moment, we're going to, to sing some more verses from this psalm in David's response. He glorifies and enjoys God. But before we do that, we'll bow our heads and we'll pray.